Hi friends, this is episode 69 of the Bible Lab Podcast. You are listening to the Bible Lab Podcast, recorded before a very lively audience on the campus of Loma Linda University. Here's your host, Roy Ice. Hey everybody, thanks so much for joining me for this conclusion to this series on Daniel. I don't know about you, but it's totally changed my view of the book of Daniel, God's major message there. I've learned so many new details. I hope you have as well. And today, as we conclude this book about God revealing himself to mankind, I know you're going to be blessed. I just want to make sure before we begin today's conversation, if this is the first time you're with us, definitely go to our website, thebiblelab.com, and go to the episodes page and make sure you click on session 11 study guide because we want you to also see the study guide. I have to kind of run through some stuff today at one point, and I want to make sure that you get all of the really uh, deep exegetical material there as well. As we look at the conclusion of Daniel, I think one of the greatest messages that God has for you is the same message he had for Daniel. And I can't wait for you to enjoy what that is today. So thank you so much for being part of this community. Thanks for listening and welcome to the Bible Lab. All right, here we go. Number one, I am more of a details-oriented person than the people sitting on either side of me. Oh, watch out. There's going to be interesting lunch conversation after this. <laughs> I've seen a bunch of chuckles and smiles, even though you're wearing masks. I see it in your eyes. Some of you feel like you're in trouble. It is all over the place. It is, a, it is almost a perfect 33.3% mix here. Yes, and what interesting conversations we're going to have at lunch. Yes, what do you mean I'm not a details-oriented person? Number two, I learn best by getting the big picture first and then digging into the details. Big picture first, then digging into the detail. Whoa, look at this crowd. Okay, almost all yeses. I see a few no's and a few maybes, but predominantly 90, maybe 96, 97% of you said yes. So you like the big picture first and then the nitty gritty details, which actually in a weird way makes me feel really good today and I'll explain. I've had so many of you say, you're going too fast through Daniel. I'm like, yeah, but it, it would take us like three years to take the proper time digging into details. Like last week, we, we could have gone another three hours because we just barely scratched the surface. But those of you who have been with us long enough, four and a half years now, you know that when we first deal with a topic, we typically will do a high orbital pass, just kind of the big picture. But we've come back to some sections of scripture that we've looked at before and some people have said didn't we already do this and the other people say after the conversation it's like we never did it before because there's still more details and we get a little bit more hyper focused we get a little bit more granular in in the details and so it makes me happy to see that most of you said yes that you like the big picture first and then the details because uh that tells me that we can end daniel satisfied even though i've only given you kind of a high orbital big picture but don't worry stick around we'll be back also today you'll notice on the back side of your study guide i left a section we're going to be kind of racing through some of this today because i left a section with us 
concluding this series on the book of Daniel, um, I want to leave a little bit of time today for us to answer the question, were there some unanswered questions for you throughout the 12 chapters of Daniel that you'd like to touch on today before we conclude this series and, and move on? All right, number three, God doesn't need us to know the nitty-gritty details of prophecy. God doesn't need us to know the nitty-gritty details of prophecy. Oh, wow, I am seeing a lot. Yeah, yeah, yes, no, or maybe. Thank you for joining us, Byron. If, I, if you agree with this statement, raise a yes card. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Byron's been with us, I think, from the beginning. Haven't you, Byron? <laughs> yes, so he raises his yes card upside down. Great, thank you. Thank you for playing. <laughs> so most of you are saying, it looked like about 92% of you were saying yes, and uh, there's about 5% no, and uh, about 3% maybe on that one. So uh, you think that God doesn't need you to know the nitty-gritty. Here's the interesting thing. Now, we've been zipping through Daniel. Last week, we looked at Daniel chapter 10, which Daniel lets you know that he receives a vision in that this messenger angel comes to him and says, uh, you know, hey, I've got this vision for you. And I, I had to wait till Michael came and we did the tag team because the spirit prince of Persia, I, I couldn't leave there. I was there for three weeks and struggling and fighting with him. And then I finally was able to come. Well, that's chapter 10 of him explaining, you know, this is important and I, I'm sorry that I've been delayed, but here's a vision. Then in chapter 11, what some of you might be wondering, why are we jumping from chapter 10 to chapter 12? And I'm going to explain it to you real quick here. Because chapter 11 doesn't share anything about the character of God. When you read chapter 11, you'll see it shows one thing that you can sum up in one sentence. It shows so much granular detail. Uh, even kings and, and even uh, some daughters and who marries who, and it gives genders and it gives where they're from and what they do. And it's just a list of very granular detail of this vision that's introduced in chapter 10. So chapter 11 is all the details. Chapter 12 is getting back to the why. Why would God give these details and what does this mean? What is this all about? And so we jumped over 11, but I want you to read 11 because, like I said, chapter 11 can be summed up in one sentence. God knows everything, even to the small granular detail before it happens. That's chapter 11. God knows everything, and he can share with you everything, even details that you're like, seriously? you would share with me hundreds of years before it happens all these little details, even someone's personality. He shares personality traits of some of these characters in chapter 11. So we jump over the granular details today to get to, once again, the big picture of what does this say about God? Why is he sharing this and what does it mean? So although God doesn't need us to know the nitty-gritty details, which the vast majority of you said yes on, which you're correct, there are times when he'll come into your life and say, yeah, but I'm going to share it anyways. I'm, I'm going to help you know the nitty gritty. You don't need it, but I'll share it with you. And I'm, I'm going to go into detail about that today. Number four, yes, no, or maybe. 
God still has not shared important details regarding the afterlife. God still has not shared important details about the afterlife. Wow, majority of you, like 90, 90% of you are saying yes, and about 6 or 7% of you are saying no, and the rest are saying maybe. So there's actually very important details about the afterlife that God hasn't shared with you? All right, Byron's uh, quoting scripture here. That's dangerous. He says, I has not, I has not seen nor ear heard. Yeah. We're going to talk about this today because you're going to learn something about this time, this time period of God's chosen people. They didn't know as much as you know today. And you said today that there's important things that we still don't even know today that possibly in the future people will know these details about the afterlife that we don't even know today. And when you see how much more we know today, it's going to blow your mind that we still say, yes, th there's still important things we don't know. So we're going to deal with that. And number five, God is more interested in sharing prophetic details about other kings than himself. Okay, so uh, it's a sea of orange. It's uh, mostly no's. I'm seeing about 95% no. I'm seeing maybe two or three yeses, and I'm seeing... Uh, about six maybes. So, overwhelmingly, we said God is not more interested in sharing prophetic details about other kings than himself. But what you're going to see is he spends almost all his time in these visions talking about the other kings, talking about the other tyrants. And through his actions and through the details he shares about these other tyrant kings, that's where we deduce about God. He doesn't spend his time talking about himself like a rapper's lyrics, talking about me, myself, and I. God does the opposite. He tries to share with Daniel about these other kings and about what's to come. And this says something very big about his character, and we're going to get into that. But I want to start out, so we're in the right mindset, I just want to start out with a question. So get your comment cards ready here. If God gave you a vision of the future... How detailed would you want him to be? So if God were, give, were to give you, and perhaps you've thought about this growing up, maybe as a child or later on in life, you're like, God, just give me a vision of the future. Perhaps it was when you were dating and wondering who that special someone was supposed to be. Perhaps it was, uh, uh, perhaps it was uh, when you were having children and trying to figure out, uh, Lord, uh, what have I done wrong and how can I correct it? Um, how detailed, when God speaks to you, how detailed do you want him to be? Just give you the big broad brush strokes or do you want God to be very detailed? Who wants to, who wants to comment on that today? I think for our own uh, edification, we would not want to know every single detail because we would probably lie awake at night staring at the ceiling if we knew some of the negatives that might take place, like yeah. uh, deaths, perhaps, or something else that might foretold. So I think for our own um, trust in God, hmm. so we will lean on Him, yeah. we would be looking at ourselves too much, I'm afraid. We would not be trusting Him, and we'd be worrying hmm. ourselves sick hmm. if we knew all the details. Wow, that's, that's a real spiritually mature 
perspective because I know there have been times in my life, you know, being in college and, and uh, having so many unanswered questions, you know, so many, so many of these major life decisions and, you know, should I do this? Should I do that? Should I, you know, pursue this relationship or that relationship? What, should I do this career or that career? And I know myself in my immature spiritually immature stage, I was like, God, tell me everything. Just tell me what to do, I'll do it. And I think many of us in our spiritual immaturity do that because our greatest, our greatest goal at that time is happiness. God, what decision should I make to be the happiest? When we've gone through this before, and many of you know this, God's goal is not for you to be happy in this lifetime. He doesn't want you to be unhappy, but his goal is not your happiness with this lifetime. His goal is for you to discover why you're here, why he placed you in this very place and time with, yes, even with your family. As much as that may not seem like a God decision, he placed you with your family. Why? Because he wanted you in the spirit that he created, in your soul. We have five different places in scripture that share with us that God has plans for you. And God has good works for you. And he places you at the proper moment and time in the conditions that go from your insular family all the way out to your community and ultimately to the world that you have a purpose to, in some way, change the world for God's kingdom in the way that he made you, not in the way that he made other people and in what they're doing. And so in spiritual maturity, yes, you would not want to know every nitty-gritty detail because, like you said, our goal is to lean into God's spirit and his guidance in all, in all thy ways, direct my path. Because in doing so, that's when you get to rock the world. For me, had I asked God and he answered me in college, my freshman year of college, I'm praying hard, Lord, help me to be the best medical doctor I can possibly be. I knew I was coming to Loma Linda. I was pre-med. And I was asking, God, just show me. Just show me. If he had shown me, me standing in front of hundreds of people talking about God and parsing theology with Greek and Hebrew, I, I not only would have passed out, I probably never would have awakened again because that was so far from what I thought that God had for me and what I was even capable of. And so God does, little kernels, little crumbs, gives us what we need to direct our path in that moment so that he can grow us and stretch us into doing things we never thought we could do before. All right, Mike, blue microphone. I've always thought that God isn't going to give me all the details because there's no way I could ever comprehend them. Yeah. I think the second thing he's asked us all to do is accept what he gives us by faith. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that we could spend a whole series talking about what does it mean to accept things by faith. But guess what? Our next series is on Ephesians, and we're actually going into that. 
and we're going to unpack what does it mean to walk by faith. And so we're going to talk about that in the weeks to come. Red microphone, back here. Yes. I was going to say, how, how do you know, really, whether you want the details or not? Um, for those of you who've known me through the Bible Lab experience, you know about my times with depression. Yeah. And I used to pray and pray and pray. Okay, Lord, I don't want to be depressed. I want to do your will. I can't do your will if I'm depressed. Yeah. But just this year, starting a new job, I understand the depression. Yeah. Um, it's not that I haven't had treatment for it or gone through all kinds of things for it, but this year, at the high school where I teach, there are students who come to see me during my free period who are depressed. They are transitioning. They don't understand the whole COVID situation. They have parents who don't understand them. Um, they don't want to be here. And I look at them, and even as I'm driving up the hill to work, I say, God, thank you for the depression. Yeah. And I never dreamed I would say that to God. Yeah. But that experience allows me to look beyond even what they're saying to what they're feeling. Mm. And I'm a different teacher because of those experiences. Yeah, absolutely. I'm raising my love it card on that one because I, I totally agree. Um, I've, I've shared with a, a lot of individuals who I've counseled in, in the past or, or tried to help do some life coaching with them because um, they're like, how do, how do you... How are you able to give me this advice? It's rich advice. I went and I did it last week. It, it worked out. How do you know this? I'm like, because I don't have sympathy for you. I have empathy for you. I felt what you felt. I went through what you went through. And had God not allowed me to go through that level of hurt, I would never be able to care for you like I care for you. I'd never be able to give you with a straight face the advice of, you're going to be okay. You're going to get through this. You're going to be fine. The world is not over. The world's just beginning. Why can I say that with compassion and authority? It's because I went through it. And so all of these dark things, that's what scripture says, you know, God can take the bad things and turn it to good. Uh, He can use all things. And so with this, you've reminded us as, as well, even though in these dark times, we pray, God, just show me, just show me the details. Sometimes he needs to take us through the valley of the shadow of death, but he's with us. He doesn't leave us in the valley, valley shadow of death to see if we can find our way out. He is with us and allowing us to go through it so that we can be more powerful. And as you look at the life of Daniel being a captive where he should have been a prince, in in Israel. He should have been a ruler. He should have lived in freedom. He should have lived in his own palace. He's a captive. He's living in a land that's not his own and without a temple that is his own religion. And God begins giving him visions, which are very broad at first, because I think God, like you said, needed him to be able to have compassion with the other captives and say, God's still here, and we're going to see through it. Now, the interesting thing is as we get to the end of Daniel, we see God do something really unexpected at a time. If you just look at it on the surface, it seems like it's not logical. 
Because here, Daniel is 90 years old, possibly, 85 at the youngest, 90 years old, probably. And he's getting to the end of his life. God has given Daniel a bunch of visions in the past, chapter 7 uh, and uh, chapter 8. He comes in, explains things, chapter 9. Chapter 11, he comes back and gives him even more details. Now, up to this time, God has spoken to Daniel in these really strange pictures. Chapter 7, you've got these four beasts that come out of the sea, and they look really strange and and terrifying. And God says, now we're going to overlay this on the vision that I actually gave to Nebuchadnezzar about this image with the different types of metals. And ultimately, the happy ending at the end of this is that there is a kingdom forged like the sides of a mountain, but a rock that's carved out of the supernatural mountain, not by man's hand. But this kingdom, God's kingdom, comes down and does away, demolishes all these other kingdoms. And in the end... Um, the kingdom of God will reign forever and ever. So he overlays that with chapter 7 with, with all these different beasts. And then, then we have another vision about this, uh, this uh, ram and then this, uh, I call him the unigoat, um, this unicorn goat that comes in, smashes the ram's horns, and it's, it's just God saying, look, I want to go into, into more detail about two of these kingdoms, the transition, because you're in a transitional time. And those of you who've been paying close attention, you've noted that every single time God comes in, it's at a time of transition. It's either a new king or a king's about to go. And uh, so he gives more detail about what's going to happen with this transition between Persia and then into Greece. And we looked at that and saw, wow, you know, there's going to be a really bad time for those that are in Jerusalem. And and then this Antiochus IV is going to come and call himself Epiphanes, you know, uh, basically God's gift to God. And uh, he's going to make things really bad, even put a idol of Zeus in the temple, stop worship. He's going to kill a bunch of Jews and, and ultimately, ultimately make it a death penalty to even possess any scripture. And so God's gone into detail about stuff, but never to this detail, as if in chapter 11, God just zooms right in to this, uh, this period of Antiochus IV, and he says, look, you've been really faithful. Let me share some stuff with you, and he just unpacks it all. He just unpacks all of what's going to happen in detail, and then in chapter 12, verse 1, and I'm going to read verse 1 through 4. The NIV reads, at that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting content. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. So let's take a step back. 
What do some of these phrases mean? At that time, if you read the very end of chapter 11, because remember, they didn't have chapter and verse divisions back then. So chapters 10 through 12 is one section. It's all talking about the same thing. So if you read down to the end of chapter 11, you see how Antiochus IV comes to his end. And so when Antiochus IV dies is that time. And so chapter 12 continues right from there to say at that time. So just so you know, and I've got some paragraphs here. Um, I'll let you read them in detail later, but just understand that this whole time that he's speaking of is that time of Antiochus IV. Um, And so that's what's going on there. Verse 2 is interesting. Anyone hearing uh, this from the time of Daniel, even up to the time of the birth of Christ, would have said, what's this everlasting life stuff you're talking about? Because at the time of Daniel, the Jews did not have a fully developed theology of the afterlife. In fact, many of them would pray for and just hope for a really good life. And in fact, you have, you know, like in Judges, the story of Gideon, where the big hope was that you would live a long and full and productive life. And so their hope was not in everlasting life. In fact, when Jesus is going around and preaching, there's still a denomination of Jews known as the Sadducees that do not believe in the afterlife. And so they come up with this trick question about this woman who's been married multiple times. Her husband keeps dying. Horrible cook, obviously. And <laughs> who will her husband be when, when uh, she gets to heaven? And Jesus, knowing what they believed, answers. But we read it as Jesus saying, there's no such thing as marriage in heaven. And that's not what Jesus is saying. Because Jesus is saying... I understand you see heaven as never, never land. And you also see angels like Tinkerbell. You see these as fantasies. These are little fairy tales. Never, never land with Peter Pan and Tinkerbell. And so you're asking me the story. When, when you go to never, never land, who's your spouse going to be? And Jesus says, well, when you go to never, never land, uh, there's no such thing as the Levirate marriage. It's the word that's used there, but we don't translate it, which means that there's this whole system of marrying the next. If you're an unwed brother, typically a younger brother, uh, you would take the woman into your house as your, quote, wife. Now, according to law, you could marry someone else, and this woman would just basically become your maid, your cook, your cleaner, your house cleaner, but that was welfare in the day. It's just taking care of this widow. So they have this whole system called Levi-rate marriage, and Jesus says when you get to Never Never Land, those of you that don't believe in Neverland, uh, you're not going to have Levi-rate marriage, but, and here's the kicker, this is why the Sadducees run away, he says, but you're going to become just like Tinkerbell. His words are, you're going to become like the angels. Well, there's a problem here. The Sadducees didn't believe in angels either. So he said, when you get to a place you don't believe in, you're going to become something you don't believe in. <laughs> That's why they couldn't answer so there's still this whole misunderstanding of what the afterlife's all about in the time of Daniel. And so in verse 2 here, for it to end Daniel's uh, writings with, by the way, there's still stuff you don't know. I just shared a ton of details with you, but there's a ton you still don't know. And if you look at the very last verse of Daniel 12, verse 13, 
God comes back to it and says, I'm giving you something you know nothing about. I'm giving you something you haven't even been praying for. I'm giving you something you've never even hoped for. I'm going to give you eternal life. I'm going to raise you up, and you're going to live with me forever. So at this time, they don't even have the hope that when this kingdom of God comes, that it will be in heaven. They still think it's a kingdom on earth. And it's not until Jesus comes and ultimately his teaching and his expression of resurrecting from the dead that it even becomes hope within the Jewish people. And that's why as you read through the New Testament, Paul's letters and all these conversations and discussions from the people in the early church in the New Testament, their major exciting teaching was about eternal life. And the reason why is because it had never been fully formed with them before. Now, about 200 years before Christ, the Maccabees tried to develop this because they could see from Scripture that there had been hints dropped in theological teachings throughout the Old Testament. The problem is the Sadducees only believed in the first five books of the Bible, which is called the Pentateuch, or they called it the Torah. And because they only looked at those first five books of the Bible, they couldn't find enough evidence for it. Isn't it beautiful that God didn't stop at one point in time? He still has a prophetic word for every generation. And he shares more and more with each generation as they're ready for the next bit of information. So with that, he gives this uh, not only promise of eternal life, but it says the previous chapter 11 is a shockingly detailed description of what would happen politically from that day in Daniel's life to the end of Antiochus IV Epiphany's life almost 400 years later. God has already given Daniel broad brushstrokes of, of this time in the future. So what does it say about God that he would once again return to this time of prophecy to reveal this level of detail? And also, if you want to answer on this way, why do you think that God is sharing this specifically with Daniel? What does this say about God? Daniel's about to die. And for some reason, God is saying, I want you to write this down and I want you to seal it up for other people. What is this saying about God? And what's this saying about how he does things so we can recognize it when he does it today? Anybody want to take a stab at that? You know, if you really love somebody um, and you know they're going to go through some tough times, I think just to be able to give them a broad reassurance to help them not have anxiety or worry, know you're there, you can trust them in the long run. Um, So I think it's just something that can strengthen your faith. And because he loves us so much, he wants to give us that reassurance. That's exactly what we see here, Debbie, because there's a couple of phrases that, that are used in this chapter that many people see it and read it differently. You know, things get lost in translation. And so when you read a, a couple of phrases, um, for example, in um, verse 13, as for you, speaking of Daniel, go your way till the end. You will rest, and at the end of the days you will rise and receive your allotted inheritance. Many people see this as God dismissing Daniel. Just go your way. Just go. There's another place, but I'm, I'm not seeing it right here. Um, in chapter 12, where he's basically saying, go, just go. The better interpretation 
of what these phrases are saying in chapter 12, as commentators say, is this is God saying, relax. Just relax. You did a great job. This, these are reassuring phrases saying, look, just relax. It's all going to be okay. I've got you. You don't have to carry this burden. Relax. Isn't that a beautiful statement of God? Even the people who bear the greatest burden, God says, relax. I've got this, and I've got you. And so part of this is a real struggle between the burden of the message that Daniel receives and God's message of saying, yeah, I gave it to you, but relax. It's good. Seal it up. And I'll talk about that in a minute, but I want to get to Terry's comment here with the red microphone. Yeah, I like that. Just relax. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we don't do that very well, do we? No. no. Well, and, and that's kind of what I, when you, when you asked that question, I thought, we spend most of our time thinking about the past or the future. Yeah. And what God is constantly trying to get us to do is, is live, to live and to think about the moment. He's with us in the moment. He's with yeah. us in the present. And yeah. so it kind of relates back to the, the first question, too, uh, about how much detail does God, is God going to give us? Well, how much detail does the master give his, his pupils? when he starts out on the journey. How much, how much does Jesus tell the disciples as they go along the way? Uh, he doesn't tell them everything. He wants them to experience. He wants them to grab on to what's happening right now. Right, and even at the end, he says there's so much more I'd love to share with you. You just can't handle it. Yeah, exactly. You're not ready for it. And so, yeah, he, he admittedly says, yeah, I was slow and I was actually incomplete with my, my work with you. And so why should it be different with us today that God says, look, there may be people in your community and in your church that say we've learned all truth for all time, <laughs> and God smiles and says there's still more that I need to teach you. And I, that's why I love uh, John Dibdahl's quote, you know, that our, our greatest challenge in Christianity today is thinking we've learned all truth for all time. I think those of us who've gone on this Bible lab journey the last four and a half years realize how silly that is to even imagine we know all truth because every single week we get together and learn something new about the character of God and we've just scratched the surface. Exactly. Thank you, Terry. Uh, right here, uh, blue microphone, Michael. I would like to have the calming effect of, in life that was bestowed upon Francis Assisi one day he's working in a garden. He never lived more than two or three days in the same place. He was this itinerant wow. preacher. And he was asked by one of his fellow Franciscans, he said, Francis, what would you do if the angel of the Lord came and told you this was your last day on this earth? Hmm. What would you do? He said, I'd keep working in the garden. And I'd like to have that sense of calm and that sense of peace that would enable that. But yeah. and it reminds me of a listen to a pastor and he's preaching and he stopped and he says are any of you would any of you be frightened to know that this is the last hour of your life and if you are I suggest you change your life <laughs> that's true that's true I love that I when I was chaplain up at uh, Pacific Union College I we had a uh, week of prayer where I 
had selected uh, 10 different faculty to speak, but they could only speak for 10 minutes. And the theme was 10 minutes to live. If I only had 10 minutes to live, what would I share with you? And we had this all graphically, this whole timer that was going, and by the end of 10 minutes, that was it. That's all they could say. And it really hit home to a lot of us to realize when it all comes down to it, all of these things that we worry about so much and all the things that we emphasize about religion and stuff like that, when it comes down to the last moments, the last minutes of your life, what truly is non-negotiable? What, what truly matters? And I think that's something that we also see here in this chapter. Yeah, blue microphone, Carolyn. And I don't know what's beeping here, but it's not my heart monitor, so don't worry. Okay. Somebody's yeah. beeping. <laughs> yes, I think it's something in there. And I think that one of the things that, uh, taking off of what Michael said too, is this past year and a half has really promoted a lot of anxiety, yeah. a lot of uncertainty. I have fallen into that trap. Yeah. And you just worry, well, what is going to happen next? And there's always some new grim, if you read the papers or see your online paper, it's always some new tragedy or some new variant or some new whatever. Da, 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 yeah. And the earth is going to end and everybody's going to die and everything. Yeah. And you have to get to that point where you understand that God's got this. Yes. And each day your job is to keep doing what God has asked you to do. So I go to work. And I help the old people. Yes. And I do what I can. Yes. And I keep track of Byron. Whatever needs to be done. Yeah. 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 It's the second job. <laughs> <laughs> because you have to keep doing what the Lord has appointed you to do, yes. not sit there and go, oh, it's going to end in the next hour or the next 10 minutes. Yes. Well, uh, we, we cannot forget when we got to chapter three of Daniel, where you have, you have, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're Babylonian names, um, standing before the furnace and saying, our God can save us. But even if he doesn't. And until we live our life to where, you know, I'm not afraid. Yeah, I can feel the heat of these flames seven times hotter. It's killing the guards who would throw us in. Um, my God can save me from that, please. Yeah. Even, even if you don't. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I want, to, I want us to take a look at the next couple of verses, and then, and then I want us to, uh, to answer some questions here. Verses 5 through 10 of Daniel 12 says, Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to me, uh, excuse me, one of them said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen who was above the water of the river lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. And I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, It will be for a time, times, and half a time, when the power of the holy people has been, uh, when the power of the holy people has finally broken. All these things will be completed. I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked, my Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? He replied, and this is the other part, this is the other time he says this, go your way, Daniel. This, once again, read that as relax, okay? Relax, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand but those who are wise will understand. 
So here we have a picture where one of these two angels on uh, the side of the river, many commentators will guess that it's the one closest to Daniel, shouts to this figure in linen that's dressed like a priest. It's the linen garb, it's the gold belt. And so some people have associated that possibly with the pre-incarnate Christ. Some have said, no, that's Gabriel, the, the messenger angel. Uh, there's all different viewpoints in that. But Daniel is not told who it is. He just reports what he sees. So it's interesting to see that one of the angels says, so um, how long will this period of, of time be? How long will it be? And uh, literally the angel's asking, how long will this last? So it shows that it, even what Christ said, only the Father knows the day and the time, the hour. Um, so there are things that are kept secret. Why? Well, we kind of dealt with this in chapter 10, that there is an enemy who wants to know God's plan, his book of truth, what his plan of action is, how he's mapped everything out with all the possibilities of, of this quantum time, about what decisions will lead to the best possible outcome. And so even this angel is saying, so how long is this going to be? Because they don't have privy to, to this information. Daniel comes back a couple of verses later and says, well, I, okay, I don't care about the time. I care about what's the outcome. What's going to happen? And the reason why he's so concerned with the outcome is he already knows from before it's not going to be in his lifetime. So his deepest concern, this is the coolest thing about Daniel, his deepest concern is not for himself. Like, who cares? I'm not even going to be there. Uh, which some of us, the, the way we... We uh, deal with our uh, government spending. We, we kind of deal that way. Who cares? I'm not going to be around. Let my great-grandkids pay for it. Um, but Daniel cares because his greatest concern is he's living in, in a nation where he can't worship in God's holy temple. Is there ever going to come a day where God's kingdom is going to be restored? We'll be worshiping back in the temple be having the sacrifices because I just saw this horrible time where the sacrifice could be taken away and we're going to lose a lot of people. What's the outcome going to be? And so his greatest concern is God, your church, just like he said earlier, your reputation is, is going to be stained. And here he's concerned about the outcome. So we have one minute, but if you'll bear with me, maybe we could take three to five minutes to deal with unanswered questions we've had as we close out this uh, this chapter. And I know some of you probably want to understand the 1290 days versus the 1335 days. And I'm going to tell you, it's extremely important that you relax. <laughs> because depending on which commentary you pick up, you're going to get a different answer. And I've gone through a lot of them this week. And ultimately, some people look at this and say, well, this is trying to tell you this is how long it's going to go. If you look at this three and a half years of time, times a half time, well, that's how long Antiochus IV reigned. And then he dies. And then between the time of his death, the question, just like Daniel has, what's the outcome? He dies, but are we going to get another bad leader? You know, it doesn't matter who we elect. It seems like things keep being bad. And that's his question back then too. So he says, what's the outcome going to be? And, and the answer he gets is, well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to last for about three and a half years, but blessed are those who make it to see the 1335 days. And many commentators have looked back at that and said, well, it was about a month and a half between the time of Antiochus IV 
to Antiochus V and what happens about a month and a half uh, after Antiochus's death is that Antiochus V offers a peace treaty and allows the people to go back to the temple and worship without threat of death. And so some commentators say that seems to fit, but there's a whole lot of issues that they also grapple with, but that might be one of the possibilities. Back here, uh, green microphone. Thank yes. you. Um, I, I don't really have any questions remaining, but I would like to say just, I guess, appreciation for looking at Daniel with different eyes. Yeah. Because I think many of us in this room have grown up with a lot of different ideas, different thoughts, different impressions, different prophecies mm -hmm. that I don't see that in Daniel. Yeah. I see, I see who God is. Yeah. And I, I just wanted to uh, share my appreciation Oh, thank Roy, you. for for taking taking the time to go through a book that's been very confusing to a lot of people, and now I just I see it. I have a different appreciation for Daniel, thank and you. for the visions that he was given and why he was given them, mm. but they still have application to us even now. Absolutely. To say that I'm still God, mm -hmm. I still love you. It's still okay, no matter who's in power, that I'm still in control. I love it. So love thanks, Ray. Well, thank you, and, and thank you all for helping me have a reason to have to study. Because like I've told many of you, I didn't know this four days ago, so don't think I'm brilliant. I had to study it uh, this last week. And what I've seen, just like what you mentioned, what I've seen is what our early church founders called progressive revelation. That over time, God reveals it to us, and he wants us to continue progressing and having progress with our understanding of his character. And so Daniel is not a, a crystal ball to show us the future. It's truly a rearview mirror to show us the character of God throughout time and how it's even consistent today about how he loves us so much. He doesn't want us to be so concerned with the details as much as he just wants us to relax into his loving arms, into his salvation. Like I said, this next series is, is going to be on Ephesians. And some of you have asked, well, when are we going to do Revelation? because these are always together. And I, I want to tell you, we're going to do it soon. I also want to say Jesus is coming soon. So anytime before now and when Jesus comes again, we're going to do it. Um, but maybe a little sooner. Um, but Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And Daniel is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And the more we hang on to that and realize that God loves us so much that even at times when we feel like we're completely bound in captivity of the enemy's kingdom, God is still present, God still wants to speak, and God still wants to reveal his character and his love to you regardless of the situation that you're living in. So relax in his arms, relax in his love, and relax in his salvation because it is yours. He bought it, he paid the price, You've accepted it. Now this Sabbath, we get to truly have a Sabbath and relax in knowing that God's kingdom will endure forever and ever. That is the best news ever, and I think it's the best news for the day in which we live in, don't you? I was excited to go through this series on the book of Daniel with you. I learned so much about the history, the culture, the context, the language, 
and it changed my views of who God is in so many more positive ways. And I hope it did for you as well. I want you to invite your friends, your loved ones, your family to join in for this next series. We're starting episode 70 with a brand new series. It's all about the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. It's called God's Blueprint. It's all about this blueprint that God has for you and for me and anyone who calls themselves a follower of God. It truly is God's building blueprints to build up the people of God that we call church. I hope you'll join us for that. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Bible Lab podcast. If you're planning a trip to Southern California, make sure to reserve your VIP seats in the Bible Lab by emailing us at info at thebiblelab.com. Programs are recorded each Saturday at 1030 a.m. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we wish you God's richest blessings as you continue to research and develop the character of God.